0: You're listening to Spirit Matters Talk, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. I'm Dennis Mundy, my co-host, Phil Goldberg, and our guest today, Dean Slider. Dean uh, is an author. He has been teaching natural methods of meditation for many, many years. He's been on uh, national public radio and many other uh, media outlets. Uh, His latest book, Fearless, Living Beyond Fear, Anxiety, Anger, and Addiction, and I should also mention Dean is a friend of mine and Phil's for well over 40 years. Uh, Dean, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: Well, uh, thanks for inviting me back. It's great to be here.
2: That's right. Dean is um, one of our rare repeat guests. He's in rarefied company. Like Ed? like a bad penny. I just <laughs> keep coming back. So, uh, Dean, as Dennis said, we've known each other for a long, long time. Um uh, So, there's a familiarity here, uh, and you've been on the show. So, rather than go through your whole spiritual history, which you probably did the first time you were on, let's get right to your new book. Now, when you were on before, we were talking about your previous book, Natural Meditation, what led you to then focus on fear? And we should point out to radio listeners that uh, the title is "Fearless." Two, Two words. words, not fearless, mm-hmm. but fearless. Right. That is
1: correct. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, fearless, one word, has become a very popular Uh, term in the last couple of years. You see it a lot in advertising and on t-shirts and so forth. And it's a lovely concept. It's a lovely ideal. But frankly, I haven't met anyone, as far as I can tell, who's fearless. I'm certainly not fearless. I've met the Dalai Lama, and by his own admission, he's not fearless. I actually tell a story in the book. Uh, He's afraid of worms. (coughs) Uh, Wow. But the but the way these things work is that he laughs about it. You know, the we, our fears can be, um, you know, uh, the, the subjects of our fears and our anxieties, uh, our rage and our addictive cravings, they can seem like these big, scary monsters looming over us, just overwhelming. But with some... some skillful dealings with them some skillful methods and insights you start to realize that well they look like big scary monsters but they're they're actually they're like the big balloons in the Macy's Day Parade and if you can just find some methods some little pins to start poking a few holes in them they start to deflate and they're still there but after a while they're just like these you know flaccid little Bathtub toys bouncing around your ankles, or or, or something. You know, it's, you're the Dalai Lama laughing about your fear of worms.
0: Uh, Dina, wanted to ask you. So, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. and I'll come in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So back back to Phil's question. What prompted me to write it was realizing how much fear and anxiety is in the air. Uh, I travel a lot, teaching workshops around the country, and. I'm just hearing especially this word anxiety so much everywhere I go. Uh, College counselors have told me that whereas five and 10 years ago, uh, students were all talking about depression, now they're lining up to talk about anxiety. Uh, There are college campuses now where as standard issue, they have therapy dogs in every dormitory because there's so much anxiety going on.
2: I'd be afraid of the dogs.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. But, but obviously, you know there are specific uh, factors that we can point to. We can point to our, you know, unprecedentedly tense political situation. You know, as we talk this week, people have been getting bombs in their mailboxes. There have been, you know, shootings in in synagogues. Um, Uh, You know, it's not hard to find reasons to find justifications for, well, of course I've got anxiety, of course I have fear. But there are also deeper, more fundamental sources of fear and anxiety that, uh, you know, are are age-old, they're they're, there in every generation. The most fundamental fear, of course, is the fear of death, the fear of annihilation. And I think that really everyone who has not um, fully awakened, really fully enlightened, you know, anyone who is not fully awakened to the more, we could say, expansive world model where you're not just this little, you know, chunk of, you know, 175 pounds of carbon-based matter that Wanders around for a while, looking for sources of satisfaction, trying to avoid pain, and then you know, a few decades go by, and game over, and you're dead, and that's it, and it's like you never existed. You know, unless you have a more expansive experience of what you are than that, uh, I think it's it's virtually impossible not to be afraid of your inevitable annihilation, and I suspect that that fear people hmm. and that that's really in the deep way behind a lot of our uh among other things the political craziness of our time well i can't you know i can't confront my real fear, my fear of my own annihilation, so i'll just project it into oh those other people who don't look like me right did let me interrupt let me
0: interrupt I want to follow up on that on that uh concept of annihilation um how how is uh, well, it's somebody with a a less expansive view of themselves, as you as you refer to mm-hmm. a bigger, a uh, more expansive view of yourself. Let's say somebody with a smaller expansive view, uh, death could mean just like blacking out. It's over. That life is it's gone. There's nothing. Uh, but somebody with a more expansive view, as I understand, and I, I, I've heard it explained uh, by uh, spiritual people in different traditions is the small self merges into the large self, but isn't that annihilation? And where where is that uh, individual to be found once that... Ex- so whether you become smaller than the smallest and disappear, or bigger than the biggest and become everything, isn't it in both cases annihilation? And wouldn't that in both cases cause fear? Whether you had the, uh, the smaller view or the bigger view, uh, there would be justifiable fear there.
1: No. (laughs) Um, I, it can, nothing that you truly are, I mean, if you know, we go deep into the teachings and, you know, those of us who, you know, we're so fortunate to have been practicing these, these teachings, doing real meditative practice every day for, as you say, 40 and more years, you know, you start to, to really experience these things um nothing that you are can be annihilated what the the so-called you know i i would i actually would not use the terms like the small self and the big self i mean how many selves can you have there's only you know if you can only be what you are now we have these ideas of what we are these concepts like well, I'm this body. But it only takes uh, a few moments of careful, paying attention to realize, well, wait, you know, I used to look down and see a different body. Five years ago, I saw a Mm -hmm. different body. And five years before that, I saw a very different body. And and each time I sort of, I had this pretty strong notion that I was that body, but I Evidently, I wasn't, because now there's a different one, but there's still an abiding sense of the, this I that has been the witness to that whole continuing series of changing bodies. There is, you know, if I just ask you, are you aware? That simple question. And we immediately we know, yes. Now, where did your attention have to go to find the answer to that question? doesn't go anywhere it's right here if i ask you what color is the sky i have to look up my attention goes outward up to to the blue sky but are you aware yet and and it becomes clearer and clearer that what you are is awareness and that Mm -hmm. awareness awareness has the quality of open space open sky uh, a a mirror with no edges Mm -hmm. and that everything else that we experience time space the body is all the stuff that passes that reflects in the mirror or, you know, the planets and stars that swim through the sky. And that those are the phenomena, or as, as the Muppets say, phenomena uh, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, and the phenomena come and go, but that what we are, and this gets confirmed by direct, simple, straightforward experience, that what we are is non-phenomenal awareness outside of time, outside of space. Mm-hmm. And and that gets clearer and clearer and gets clearer and clearer that what that is doesn't, it doesn't come into being. It doesn't pass away. Just like it says in the
2: books that we've been reading all these decades. And then the experience, starts to come into view. Mm-hmm. So Dean, uh, you've yes. in a sense already alluded to the answer to the question I was about to ask, but the, the context in which you were speaking was the fear of death. So, um, Obviously, there are many, many sources of fear, and uh, people are afraid of many, many different things, and you address them in your book. Um, A lot of people who write self-help books, usually psychologists, uh, address the subject of fear. They deal with it all the time. You're not a psychologist. You're a spiritual teacher. You're a veteran of Spiritual paths and well-informed. What do you bring to this book that a psychologist would not? That's a great
0: question. Good question. Yeah. Um, I
2: would. I would say that what I bring
1: is a toolbox of methods that uh, can go from the very simple to the steep. You know, uh, uh, methods and insights. Like you know, for the last five minutes, we somehow went straight to the steep stuff. <laughs> right. uh, and not everyone is 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 going to be mm, you know kind of uh, motivated to to think in terms of oh, I'm really boundless, unconditional, non-phenomenal awareness. Let me check that out. That's fine. So I start with very simple things like, actually, I've got this chapter that's two pages long, uh, which as soon as the book came out, uh, it was, this was picked up by the Oprah website. So this chapter is, is still running on Oprah.com. And it's titled Breathe Through Your Seat. And what I teach people, and I've been teaching this a lot in my workshops throughout the country. Very simple. Listeners can do this right now, which is Simply put your attention on the soles of your feet. That takes no effort. As soon as I say soles of your feet, there's nothing more to do. Your attention's already there automatically. And then you're already breathing, so that takes no effort. Now, on your next breath in, just imagine that you're breathing in through the soles of your feet. And then as you breathe out, imagine you're breathing out through the soles of your feet. And again, in. Through the soles of your feet and out through the soles of your feet one more in through the soles of your feet and then out through the soles of your feet now a lot of people notice after just like that maybe two three breaths gee things somehow feel more cooled out i feel more balanced more centered mm-hmm. gee this is something that i could bring you know when i'm sitting there in traffic, stressing out because I'm afraid I'm going to be late to work, I can be completely caught up in that. Or I can breathe through my through for a few moments. And now I've at least created some space. I've, 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 I've pricked a little hole in that big, scary Macy's Day balloon. So So, you know, I have simple tools like this, and... What I find is, you know, my instinct, as you say, as a spiritual veteran of all these decades, I want to take people right to the t- tippy-top supreme wisdom stuff all the time. But with a lot of people, you know, you you've got to soften up the beach first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, give people something. You know, there's people are suffering. And to say, okay, here, we're just we're going to give you the supreme wisdom, and it's going to be too steep for them, that's not... Skillful. It's not compassionate. Right. Give them something practical, something that, and then yes. they'll then they'll come back for more. They'll mm-hmm. come for the stress relief. They'll stay for the enlightenment.
0: Right, uh, Dean. Uh, in your book, you discuss letting go of compulsive over. I think you use the expression overthinking. Uh, can you talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit? Yeah. Um,
1: And, you know, I'm an expert on this one. (laughs) Yeah, me too. That's why
0: I'm asking the question.
1: I think we have three thinking (laughs) people here. Yes, yes, yes. We're the the three amigos of overthinking. Right. Um, (laughs) uh, And by the way, this is, you know, to the degree that uh, we're all teachers here, uh, I think this is one of our great qualifications. Is, is that we've all had our own share of craziness and neurosis and compulsion and so forth you know if you want to learn to play the violin the worst person to study with is the, the person who was the child prodigy
0: mm-hmm.
1: you, you want to study you want to study with someone who had to who had to struggle some who had to, you know I, I there was an article in the New York Times a few weeks ago about this very phenomenon it started off uh, talking about how in, in Einstein's years uh at Princeton, he was a pretty crummy professor. You know, because he, he he the stuff came so easy to mm-hmm. him. It was so the concepts were so intuitive for him. He he didn't know how to show people how to who who needed to go step by step how to do that.
2: You know, so, they say the same thing about gifted athletes being coaches. Mm, the best ones uh, are, are the, interesting. the ones who struggle the <clears throat> For the same reason. Right, right. Yeah, it, I
1: think that'll be true in, in every field. Yeah, And, you know, more and more as the years go by and and my appreciation of wonderful teachers that I've been fortunate enough to, to learn from, as my appreciation deepens, uh, part of it is that I, I more and more deeply appreciate their, not just their enlightenment, but their ability to keep, a toehold in ignorance, <laughs> you know, to, to remember how ignorance, how non-enlightenment right. works. And, I think that's, that's a very, very important button. point. I think that's a
0: very important point because, again, uh, I, I, I was an educator. I was in a, a school principal, a teacher, and, and oftentimes people that were like the perfect, just like you were saying, perfect students, they had a really hard time relating to students that were struggling or even having social problems because they, they just sailed through everything. And so I think, uh, yeah, having that toe in ignorance is definitely uh, useful in communicating with other people. Go
1: ahead. Right, right. So, um, letting go of of overthinking. And I have a chapter in the book titled um, Drop Your Thoughts. And it's this completely, just ridiculously stupid, simple approach, which is you can, uh, well, the cue that I suggest, you could use anything, but the cue I suggest is you... slap your hands like in front of your eyes and for five seconds drop your thoughts just don't try to deconstruct them don't try to analyze them don't try to stop just for five seconds just drop it and then after six seconds pick them up again now When you first hear this, you might think, I can't do this. But, you know, again, in workshops, I have people do this and they and if you you sit down and, and, and just do it, you find out that you can. And in fact, if you look more closely at your daily experience, what you find is that actually you do this all the time. You do it. You do this thousands of times throughout the day. So, for example, there's so much that we we carry around or rather we think we carry around all the time, like, Oh, all this, you know, horrible political situation that's with me all the time, or, Oh, this personal situation. What about my horrible marriage? Or what about my pain in the neck job? Or what about this? Or what about my crummy screwed up childhood? I've been carrying that story around for 40 years or whatever it is. Okay. Now, my question for you in that case is, Where is that story when you're parallel parking in a tight space? Right. At that moment, your, your attention is, is has gone to this other thing and you drop those thoughts. Those thoughts are gone. They have no reality for you. They have no existence for you. Then you pick them up again. Now the, the, the joker that's been planted in the deck is that when you pick up that whole you know, painful story of whatever it is, one of the thoughts that's a part of that is the thought, Oh, this is here all the time. It's like the the backstory Mm -hmm. is, is built into it. And it's not true. And every time you either deliberately drop them to say, Okay, just slap my hands in front of my eyes, drop it for five seconds. Or or if we start to notice, oh, every time I'm parallel parking, every time I sneeze, every time I have an orgasm, every time I'm, I'm working on my taxes and not thinking about that, it's gone. Every time you notice that, you're actually weakening the grip that those thoughts seem to have on you. Because it's actually you that's been gripping them. And when you learn how to you Know my, one of my wonderful teachers, Muji. Someone asked, you know, he said, just drop it. And someone said, But how, Muji, how do you drop it? He said, How do you drop a hot potato? Everyone knows how to do that, you just do it.
2: Dean, um, yeah. fear is obviously, uh, some kind of uh survival mechanism, um, and uh. On some level, we need the capacity for fear in order to protect ourselves. Um, how do you distinguish between useful fear and uh, harmful fear? We know also right. that excessive fear or whatever can destroy us uh, mentally right. and physically. So where is, right. there, is there a distinction to be made?
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for example you know, Mother Nature has blessed us with just enough fear of snakes. So that when we hear the rattle or we see something uh in the path that looks like a snake, because some of them are dangerous, we you know, we, we avoid it. So that's so that's fine. That's useful fear. That is that's an evolutionarily necessary thing. But I've got a friend who cannot walk into a pet store because she's afraid that the snakes are going to break through the glass in the tanks, fly through the air, and jump on her face. They won't? Okay. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on the story, yeah. <laughs> Good news. Good news, <laughs> Phil. Good news, Phil. It's you. It's not the snakes. Um, so, so in that case, that fear, which, you know, in itself inherently is a, is a, as you say, it's a positive, necessary survival thing, it's been cranked up to 11. Um, and there, there's reasons for that. You know, when we hear the, 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 the deep guttural uh, roaring sound, our nervous system, you know, basically we still have a caveman, cavewoman nervous system. So that sounds like the saber-toothed tiger. Or, and so that activates the fight-or-flight syndrome. It activates the sympathetic nervous system, which says either hunt down that saber-toothed tiger or run away from it, fight or flight. But most of us don't live in the jungle anymore. When we hear that roaring sound, it's just a city bus. It's just a garbage truck. But our nervous system still responds as if it's the, the tiger. We, we suffer from chronic overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system. So fight or flight is, you know, tending to happen all the time. And so it's really useful to have methods that um, balance that out by activating the parasympathetic nervous system, such as breathing through the feet that that can do. And, and uh, there are things that um, certainly practice of natural meditation, sitting with the eyes closed for a few minutes a day and settling into your own awareness is very effective for that. Uh, I, I like to share methods that people can, that don't add any time to your schedule. So for instance, you're taking a shower every day anyway, probably. Um, uh, there's methods that I do every morning in the shower that I, I share with people of singing. There's particular intervals of notes and particular vowel sounds that you can sing that help cool down the nervous system and, and uh, cool out the fight or flight and activate the, the, the parasympathetic relaxing aspect of the nervous
2: system. Uh, can, I want to follow up on that. Um, mm-hmm. Independent of saber toothed tigers and buses that sound like uh, bears, um, mm-hmm. the, the fears people have—losing their job, uh, concern about their kids—is where does you know the sort of modern-day everyday fear? Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line between? Uh, a legitimate concern that might cause a person, you know, to 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 be uh, worried, say, mm-hmm. uh, and right. and fear. Right,
1: right. No, and I think that that's a. Uh, I like your word choice there. That word concern, and I the, how you mid sentence kind of made a course correction there from yeah. worry to concern. Concern is skillful. Concern is useful. Worry is not. So let's do a little thought experiment here. Imagine that your whole life, you'd, from, you from know the age of zero up to this moment, you had done everything the same, had the same experiences, met the same people, um, uh, legitimately concerned yourself with taking care of the things that you needed to take care of. Everything was the same except without the worry. You know, would things be better or worse? Better. I'm pretty sure they be. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they would be better. Now, I have a chapter about this in the book titled, Would it help? And I took that chapter from the Steven Spielberg film, Bridge of Spies, if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a true story of the Soviet spy captured in the 50s in New York City, played by the great Mark Rylance. And uh, he's on trial for, for his life. And he has his first um, jailhouse meeting with his lawyer. Fortunately, his lawyer is Tom Hanks. So, you know, things will probably turn out. Well. And, uh, and Tom Hanks tells him, listen, don't, don't confide in anyone except me. The Americans and the Russians both want to see you go to the electric chair. And the spy thinks about it for a moment. He says, all right. And Tom Hanks says, you don't seem worried. And he says, he kind of shrugs
0: and he says, would it help? That's a very good point. So Uh, I want to throw in here, Dean, Dean, uh, on that point about that uh, line in the film. Uh, For those that haven't read your book about, I think it's called Cinema, what? Cinema Paradiso? Nirvana. Nirvana. Cinema Nirvana. Uh, Dean, uh, read that book uh, by Dean Slider, (laughs) this (laughs) Dean, uh, because uh, I really enjoyed it. And he... He uses various films, and we discussed it in our other interview with you, uh, or I did maybe in my radio interview with you uh, about uh, drawing yeah. spiritual lessons from from from, from Hollywood. So, uh, but I had a yeah, throw and, out. I, and
1: I, I yeah, th- thank you, uh, Dennis. I had a lot of fun writing that book, and in particular because people told me. Oh, you're writing about spiritual lessons from books? Okay, you gotta write about Brother Sun, Sister Moon, and you gotta write about the Matrix and you know, all this obvious <clears> stuff. <throat> so I didn't do any of that. I wrote about Jaws and Snow White and the Seven Blues. The Godfather, if I the remember correctly. Catchers. That's right. The Godfather, Casablanca, all the stuff that you'd think, okay, great films, but there, you know, there can't possibly be any enlightenment content here. And so so that's a lot more fun, you know, finding it where where where, where angels fear to tread, where no one else thinks it's going to right, be. Right. We
2: we have only a few minutes left. We I, can let's yeah. have Dean on uh, Academy Award season. Right, um, right.
1: Let, let me. Have, but,
2: I, I, but I had right one more question. Uh, right no, now, right now we're recording this a week before the midterm elections, uh, and there's a lot of fear in the land. Yes. Maybe you want to uh, leave our uh, listeners with some uh, advice. Yeah. Um yeah, vote. <laughs> Do <it. Yeah.
1: laughs> vote. You know, the, vote often uh, the, yeah. the, the the supreme yeah, vote early and often. Uh, the 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 great classic text of of inner meditation and outer action, of course, is the Bhagavad Gita. And what it says so clearly and you know what the three of us were so fortunate to hear so clearly from Maharishi back in the day is that philosophy of 200% that that the inner journey, finding inner peace, inner freedom from fear, inner freedom from anxiety is not an alternative to effective, dynamic, compassionate action to make a better world for yourself and others. It's it's a prerequisite for it. Mm -hmm. And if you think of the social activists who've really changed the world in a positive way, the the Nelson Mandela's, the Dr. King's, the Gandhi's, you you know, you get a sense right away. They all have that some kind of inner quietness. They were not coming from anger. They were not coming from fear. They were coming from some kind of deep, rich, compassionate silence. So find your own way to do that.
0: Right, Uh, Dean, I wanna say uh, thank you. And I also wanna throw out that what you're teaching about dealing with fear uh, has a very prof- a f- profound effect on how our society thinks and functions. I, I was in uh, Pittsburgh a couple of days ago when there was the synagogue shooting. Mm. Uh, and it, mm. the fear, the anger, um, the, uh, what we talked about today uh, uh, and what, what you uh, lay out in your book, uh, for anyone experiencing any uh, trauma... Uh, fear, Uh, and and certainly uh, many, many people as a result of that event are experiencing those things I think can benefit tremendously from what you're saying and teaching, and it was just a horrific, sickening uh, uh, event, and to be uh, in the area where it took place was, uh, you know, I think a a trauma for everyone, but I think we have to combat it uh, not just with worry and fear but uh, getting uh, uh, beyond worry and fear. And uh, I think this is uh, what you're uh, basically bringing out in the book. Yep. Amen. Amen. All right. Any other final points, yep. Phil?
2: Well, uh, let's ask uh, Dean um, that question. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, uh, Please, uh, everyone feel encouraged to visit my website, uh, which is DeanWords.com. It'll be on the site. Yeah. Excellent. Good.
0: And we will have Dean back on.
1: More to discuss. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say I've got chapters from all my books there, and I've got my my traveling schedule. I'm heading, uh, uh, I'm not sure when this airs, but I'm heading next week to... New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York City, New York Open Center. I've got a five-day retreat coming up next year at the Omega Institute. So all that's on my website.
2: Very
0: good. Very, very good. Excellent. All right.
1: Have
2: fun on the East Coast. Thank you. And you guys keep keep having fun doing what you're doing.
1: Thank you for doing what you're doing. This is such a great thing, and, and I really appreciate the way you're putting this out into the world. Well, thank you.
2: Thank you, Dean. Take care. Next time. And fear less.
0: Fear less.